You are listening to The Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders, hosted by Wayne Eckerson. Maybe you did a survey, maybe you talked to users and you said, you know, what's really holding us back is that the performance is not good enough. But if that's the case, I really hope you set goals. I hope you have a graph, shows trend lines, target lines, and so on, and that you can show success. And then when you bring this measure of success, to the people who are providing you funding, your executive sponsors, right? Your board of directors, effectively. They're going to be happy and give you more funding. My name is Wayne Eckerson. My job is to help data and analytics leaders succeed. In these podcasts, I talk with experts who share the latest thinking and innovations in our space. I'm glad you've joined the conversation. Welcome to the show, Gordon. Thank you, Wayne. So let's dive right in. Why do you say that analytics teams are not data-driven, not eating their own dog food? Well, because you know, whenever I look around, I don't see evidence of such, right? So I like to think of analytics teams as small businesses within a larger business, right? But we are in a service organization helping our stakeholders drive the business, you know, whether it's profitability, delivery customer value, you know, improving our impact upon the world. And so we as a business ourselves, should be measuring our outcomes, right? Yet when I look around, I frequently see evidence of some leading indicators of our activity, but fairly infrequently, well, fairly frequently, I don't see lagging indicators. And what I mean by that is like, you know, if you ask a data team, hey, how do you measure your success? Too often, you might just get no answer because <laughs> say, well, it's really hard. We're a service organization, we're, we're a cost center, and then we're kind of far away from the business. So we just do what we're told, right? Which is kind of an unsatisfying answer to me. But, and then if people do come back with some measure of their success, they tend to point toward activities, descriptive activities, and not really outcomes. So for example, I might ask you, if you're managing a warehouse, you know, how do you know the warehouse is in, how do you know you're being successful? It's like, oh, well, we've brought our average query speed down from 18 seconds per query to now 12. I'm like, fantastic. All right. What impact has that made on the users? Well, things are faster. And that might be, that might be the most important thing, right? Maybe you did a survey, maybe you talked to users and you said, you know, what's really holding us back is that the performance is not good enough. But if that's the case, I really hope you set goals. I hope you have a graph, shows trend lines, target lines and so on, and that you can show success. And then when you bring this measure of success to the people who are providing you funding, your executive sponsors, right? Your board of directors effectively, they're gonna be happy and give you more funding, right? If they don't get it, then either this is not a great measure of the success of your business, or maybe you need to get better at the storytelling side of it. Yeah, I would say even like improved query speeds, just it might provide value, but it's still too far removed from the value that you could bring into the C-suite or the boardroom to say, hey, this shows that we're helping drive the company and help achieve its success. And I think that's where a lot of data leaders, analytics leaders fall short. It's like, how do we connect the dots from what we do to what a CEO or CFO can testify as honest to goodness value that justifies our continued funding of your budget and expansion of it. That's right. I mean, data teams are not inexpensive. It's the hardest hiring climate I've seen in 25 years of hiring. I said that to two guys recently, and I realized that both of them are under 25, <laughs> um, but it's not easy. If you're going to put in all this uh, investment, you know, you should be thinking like a yield manager and thinking like an entrepreneur, any good entrepreneur is not going to be satisfied as being a cost center right? They want to be a profit center. 
They want to be tied to the strategic vision of the company. And so I'll give you an example of like, you know, the being purpose-driven here instead of being reactive and doing things for to benefit your stakeholders and not just because you want to. You know, I had a colleague of mine work for me, also a good friend of mine, come to me a few years ago and say, hey, Gordon, I want to tune this query. I'm like, fantastic. Why do you want to tune this query? Well, it takes an hour. I should be faster than that. Okay. So, but what difference does it, does it make if you tune this query? Well, it's just too slow. Okay. I'm like, let me ask you this question a different way. Is this the most important query for you to tune right now? Well, how would I measure that? Well, let's think about this. How we can measure that? And we dug around a little bit, realized that, and, you know, long story short, this query, yes, it took an hour. Yes, it should take only one minute. It was only run once a month. So who cares? Then you have to ask, though, too, well, who's running the query and for what purpose and what value does the results add to the company, right? That's right. But, you know, once we started poking around, I suggested, hey, you know, here's how you can measure a query. Why don't we measure it in terms of time saved, right? And time being the analyst, the end users in this case. Go look at our query history. And we're using Snowflake so we could, you know, easily see our query history. We took a look. And then we found one query that was run approximately a thousand times a day. And it was taking five minutes, you know, right? And we tuned this thing down to a minute. Well, we just saved 4,000 minutes per day. Okay. Yeah. And you can translate that into dollars and cents, right? Yeah. Right. That becomes real. That becomes tangible. Um, still can't tell you the exact value, but that's, as a, you know, they would say, that gives you a moral certainty. <laughs> that you're making. At least you're right. now starting to talk the language of the CFO, who's probably controlling your budget, right? That's right. Yeah, you're starting to think a little bit more like an entrepreneur. It's like, hey, you know, how can I improve the experience of my end users? What's holding them back from doing their job? Are they frustrated by the performance of the system? So they're not making timely decisions? Or is the system not reliable? So there's not part of their workflow? Is the data quality such that you can't they can't trust their decisions? You know, if I see if someone looks at a graph and they see a blip and they see an outlier, your end users should know that is a business outlier, not an ETL error. Right? If there's uncertainty in their mind about whether or not that's a business outcome versus an ETL error, you're not doing your job or you're making their job harder. Right. So, Gordon, do you have any metrics that you use? I mean, you've been in a number of companies running their analytics programs. Do you have a standard set of metrics or does it really vary based on the environment that you're in? You know, I think I'm guilty of the same mistakes to some extent, right? But over time, I'm narrowing it down. Right. So I think about these five pillars of analytics platform to, for it to be effective, right? In this order, I think about security, I think about data quality, reliability, usability, and then finally coverage. You know, and what I mean, why in that order? Well, security is about protecting your customers. It's also about making you trustworthy as a company, right? So you've got to drive your trustworthy, and especially in this world where everything is public. Data quality is about protecting yourself from noise in your decisions. Right. Right, from you're protecting yourself from bad decisions. Reliability so it becomes part of people's workflow, so they use it. Right, so they become data driven. Usability so that you could engage that creativity because no one wants to use a system that's hard to use. Right, you know, camera manual focus or dull knife. These things are hard to use. They block your creativity. And analytics is about asking good questions. It's about creativity. And then finally, coverage. I put coverage last because I don't want to give you insecure, low quality, unreliable solutions. And so if these become KPIs, not, none of them is a North Star metric by themselves, but if they become KPIs, we can look at the most important descriptive indicators below that. Oh, for security, you know, do we have ACLs? Do we have RBOX? Do we have a, a inventory of PII? 
you know, for data quality, do we have test coverage, right? We could look at all our data sets and see do we have test coverage in all our pipelines or not? You know, and so on and so on. Reliability is the system on time, it's query, query performance within the certain parameter. And you start defining these things. And you don't have to get it all right in the beginning, you know, but you do need to start measuring. Right. You know, I did ask, uh, when I wrote my last book, I asked folks, well, how do you measure your success, right? They got all kinds of different answers all over the spectrum, as you can imagine. You know, a lot said, well, we, we track the increase in the number of reports run per week or number of queries run, right? And some ran surveys of customer satisfaction surveys, you know, once a year or so. Uh, the most unique response was from a guy named Eric Coulson, who at the time was running analytics and algorithms for Netflix. And he said, Wayne, we don't really track it as a metric, but I know how we're doing based on the number of times my customer, say who's the head of a department at the company, goes into a strategic or operational review meeting with the board or the C-suite and mentions that to achieve their objectives, they're relying on my team. And they mention my team. And he goes, if we get mentioned in those meetings as a partner in helping our business partners achieve their success, then I know we're on the right track. So that's really trying to you know, get away from just the technical deliverables to, okay, what how are people using the output of what we deliver to drive the business forward? And I'm wondering if that is even in the equation these days for, you know, teams that you've run or other groups that you've seen? I think it has to be. I think we're still not doing quite a good enough job there, but we're getting better at it. The One of the realizations I've had, and this seems really simple, but it took me a while to get there, was that, you know, if we're trying to make decisions, this is what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to drive outcomes through actions and decisions. And, you know, we have this whole corporate knowledge graph. The members of your company, they're part of that knowledge graph. So we're going to measure the flow of data through there. We're going to measure the derivation and insight. We're going to measure the number of Tableau dashboards. We should also know something about the CEO. We should know something about the CFO. We should know nothing about the managers. We should know nothing about something about the sales reps. And so maybe I can't measure exactly what's going on inside of their mind, but I can certainly ask them. A couple of three questions. You know, is the system serving your present needs? Do we do a good job of building for your future needs? And does it seem like we care about your success? You know, imagine you ask all your users if on scale of one to 10, does it feel like we care about your success? It's a great question to ask. It's kind of like the NLP question, right? So I want to ask, do you ever calculate ROI of anything you've built or even your data platform or analytics platform? Because that's really the language of business, right? Is, is that something that's even possible or worthwhile to do? I think it's possible. I think the gap is still kind of big. There's a number of indicators in between us and ultimately things like profit and customer and you know customer NPS, but it's getting smaller. And as we do a better job of measuring, we can get closer, right? There are certain high value use cases you can go after. Again, like you know, like if I pull up the PL and I see that customer support costs are 30% of our total, you know, expenditures, I can target reducing that number. You know, I actually recommend Everybody, you know, if you're a manager, think about yield, go pull up the PLL at your company and look at where the big numbers are okay. and ask yourself, what way to move into this stuff, right? I like that. Yeah, that's powerful. And it's not hard. And you don't need to be a finance. 
Have you been able to do that? Do you have any examples of that? I won't name anyone, but we, you know, we had, I was at a company where we, you know, customer support costs, in fact, were a very high percentage of the company's uh, total expenditures. And this is a company renowned for its customer support. So we didn't, we generally had an attitude that, hey, the more we spend, the better, right? Because we want to make sure we have, this, we have this great experience. But we didn't really look for efficiency, you know? So when we started looking for efficiency, we actually put an engineering team on it and said, you know, and gave them the North Star mandate, you know, and my team was supporting them and saying, hey, look for ways to, let's take engineers, functional requirement, non-functional requirement. Functional requirement is to reduce the cost of doing customer support. The non-functional requirement is that you must maintain the same level of quality. Okay. Right? You have two variables. Otherwise, you run into Goddard's law, right? You got to have at least two variables. That's right. Right? Just given this group this focus, and we worked really closely with them to measure metrics, right? To look at the, you know, costs and so on. We measured costs by number of customer service hours spent because there's no interest in firing anybody, right? There's just number, can we serve more customers with the same number of people while maintaining quality? And we measured quality by satisfaction and by queue time, right? We dug into these indicators. We found millions of dollars in a few months, you know? And then to put it in context, it was probably... 10% savings. I was like, you look at the PL, you saw this big number, and you ask, can we move this? And this wasn't a big team of engineers, right? And they only worked for a few months, right? And they, they managed to find, you know, easily paid back their own salary. Was it an engineering solution or was it, let's bring the data that we found to the business and they saw it and came up with some decisions that reduced the cost or both? Well, it was mostly engineering, but it was about focusing on the customers. I think in this case, here, the customers are actually with the customer service reps themselves. So we asked that question about, hey, where are they losing time? Because let's treat the customer service time as a valuable commodity that's being used to serve our, our end customers, right? And so we looked at things like, okay, where in their workflow is it inefficient? Where were they losing time pushing buttons when they didn't need to push buttons, right? When were they sitting there waiting for a screen to refresh? It turns out there was like a number of uh, things that it was it actually wasn't very hard to optimize. But it took purposefulness, right? Focus. Yeah. I mean, you had to have a business mindset. And as you said at, at the outset of this, analytics teams are their own little business, right? And if you're running one, you have to kind of think like uh, an entrepreneur and how to run it as efficiently and effectively as possible. You asked me, Wayne, about what metrics we look at. Well, I, I could suggest, you know, something, a place for inspiration is uh, go look at what, what are the standard metrics for any SaaS business. Because if I'm running Tableau Server, if I'm running Looker, I've got these online users, right? Those SaaS metrics apply. How about daily active users, right? How about weekly active users? What are my customer cohorts as a BI team? Well, I can break it down by business unit. Customer support, finance, marketing, the executives, right? And I say, oh, customer support, one of my best customers. Great. Maybe I've hit market saturation there. How come no one from finance ever logs in though? What am I doing wrong? Am I not all their problems solved or am I not serving them well? You know, maybe I should go ask, right? All right, think like an entrepreneur there. Yeah, so this puts a premium on tracking usage so that you know not only who's using it, but who's not so that you can proactively go in and find out what's keeping them from using the system, right? Or the tools. When was the last time your COO logged into Tableau? Do you know the answer to that question? You're right. You know, it's like, you probably should. 
Yeah. In fact, if a CEO starts using Tableau, boy, that has a huge trickle-down effect, right? Everyone else is going to say, oh my God, what's he looking at? I better look at that too. And we go back to that notion that they are part of the knowledge graph too, right? You know, the C-suite officers, you know, managers, directors of all these people are part of the knowledge graph. Then that helps direct some of our limited resources, meaning, you know, I want to have as best coverage I can. I want every data pipeline to be reliable, but maybe pragmatically, I can't give equal coverage to everything. So what pipeline should I put the most tests on? Should I put the most effort into making sure they're reliable? Well, the ones that are being used the most, right? And that user activity could give me a tremendous amount of insight as to where I should focus my efforts. So if there's a certain report or a certain dashboard or a certain whatever that's looked at every Monday morning at 7.30 by 20% of the company, I should make sure that's available. Right. So, you know, a lot of talk today about, I know, let me back up. A lot of BI vendors, I think, get frustrated because people aren't using their tools as much as they want and things seem to have stalled. So they keep adding functions and features and trying to make it simpler. And it's helped to a certain degree. But I see them now chomping at the bit saying, well, if we could just get the users to deliver real business value with the tools. In other words, can the technology players help the business improve the decisions that are made? And not just the decisions, but what actions are taken as a result of those decisions. I mean, really closing the last mile, right? Because it's kind of like you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? You can, you know, as a director of analytics, you can build the best architecture, you can deliver the best tools, you can have the cleanest data, but if your users don't make use of it and don't use the resource to drive the business forward, it doesn't reflect well on you. You've accomplished nothing. Yeah. All you've done is spend money, right? I like to think of it as the way the visual I have here in my mind is of a pizza sitting on someone's doorstep. You're the pizza shop. You took this order. You took someone's money. You had the pizza made. You delivered it. You had it delivered. You put it on the doorstep and you don't tell them it's there, right? And so your pizza is sitting out there getting cold. It's depreciating in value every moment, right? And those people are hungry inside and they don't know the pizza's there. And that's kind of a little bit what it's like to deliver these dashboards that don't meet the business use or you didn't teach your user how to use it, right? Do you do release notes on your dashboards? You should. Do you run trainings on how to use your products? You should. Because if your users aren't using them and they're not using them the way they're meant to be used, then they're not getting the value out of it, right? It's that pizza sitting on the doorstep. Yeah. And whose fault is that if we want to blame people? or It's us. And that's why you're mad, right? Okay. We've got to do more to make sure that people use what we provide them effectively, right? We could do better. And the funny thing is, I believe that we could deliver more value with less work here too, but being more delivered by focusing on quality, by focusing on making an impact as opposed to just the, this endless activity. You know, I'm ADHD. I, I'm not shy about telling people this, right? And one of the things that I've noticed though, is that, so with ADHD people frequently, the, some, one of the ways to help us be more functional is to control our environment, right? Control the information that comes in, be incremental, so celebrate wins. Well, it turns out that teams that are not incremental, they don't have clear objectives, they don't celebrate wins, exhibit the same dysfunction as someone with ADHD. Teams, they work really hard, they're frustrated with lack of progress, and they, they don't see the purpose in what they're doing. So analytics teams are universally ADHD. 
they exhibit some of that same behavior, right? So stop working so hard, be more purposeful. Understand why you do this, right? So I think you're saying, you know, go to the data, find out usage patterns, and with those patterns, start to prioritize your work, map that to what, you know, is going on in the business, and what are the big expenditures there that you could perhaps reduce, and use that as your North Star, as you call it, to, to guide your efforts and really focus you on what you should do and let all the rest fall away. I think that's a great, great way of putting it. And let's be careful. I don't mean measure everything. Let's not fall into that trap. Yeah. You know, don't spend two years building a data warehouse about the data warehouse. But use your experience, use your connection, use your empathy with the end users, start thinking about what matters to them, what's holding them back, and where should I start gathering data with my own system? How do you really start to understand what the users need, how they're really reacting to your data or not, where they're headed in the business? I mean, do you look at, well, we talk about looking at usage patterns, but I mean, do you spend a lot of time just talking to them? I do. I think that, you know, I mean, I'm generally a proponent of Scrum and Agile, right? I'm not dogmatic about it, but if you, you're familiar with Scrum, the, the job of the product owner, I actually think it's the hardest one in the whole thing. You know, the technology is, can be hard, but it's not that, it's more objective, right? Being a Scrum Master is, can be hard, running processes, taking care of people, but again, it's a little bit more objective. The product owner, the product owner has got the hard job of figuring out what the stakeholders want and bridging, bridging that gap. I like to put it, I like to say that product owners, one way to success for them is to tie product outcomes to business outcomes. Yeah. So if we deliver this product feature, we think it will have this impact on the business. And it may not be immediate. So you might have to look back two, three months later, right? Do a retrospective that goes back a few months more and going, oh, we believe that this, these products we produce would have a, a positive effect on customer NPS, right? Or customer service, or maybe support queues or something like that, right? You might have to wait a little while to look, but you should be looking. So yes, talk to the end users a lot. Ask yourself these questions. Who are your customers? What do they care about? Right. And how are you doing right yeah. now? It's all about the people. Do you spend any time meeting on a regular basis with the department heads or business unit heads to understand where they're trying to take their group and how you might align the projects that you're doing for them to better support that? I try to, you know, and then in the last couple of years, of course, everything's been turned on its head and it's all gotten both easier and harder in some ways. And I haven't fully wrapped my head around this yet, but I think that you know, you think about like information systems reflecting organizations, the way we're organized is different now. The way we consume information is different. The way we make decisions is different, right? A lot more small granular decisions, people, one or two people in the Slack call, three people, so on and so on. And I think the kind of information we're delivering has to, that product has to change too. But, and so I still try to talk to department heads, you know, I try to meet with my stakeholders on a regular basis, but I'm finding they themselves are now struggling more so than ever be in touch with their own teams. So what I try to do here is lean into building a robust, transparent, observable processes around gathering needs, making really, being really public about backlogs. Like, and I asked, I want my backlogs to be ROI driven. So you asked about ROI earlier. I can't tell you the ultimate ROI, but I can tell you short-term ROI. So you're a product owner. Your job is to come up with user stories and assign some business value to them, some estimated business value. I don't care how you do the estimate. 
Maybe you rank them against each other. Maybe use dollars. Maybe you measure them in Oreo cookies, right? But they just need to be consistent amongst each other. Maybe you break it up into short-term and long-term value, right? And then on the tech side, when you give us a story, we should estimate the cost. You know, taking in uncertainty and so on into it. It's like, oh, okay. And then you know, tech teams are used to being doing estimation. They use the Fibonacci sequences or what have you. You say, oh, that's a three. How do you know that's a three? Because it looks like this other thing we did before, and that was a three, right? If I take value and cost, I've got a numerator and a denominator, I can generate an ROI, right? And now I can take a spreadsheet or the Jira report and show my stakeholders, like based on the estimations of value and based on our estimates of effort, this is the ROI, this is the order we, we think we should do these stories for maximum ROI. Do you guys agree? Do you folks agree with this? You know, that algorithm doesn't have to be dogmatic. It should be directionally correct, right? And then and maybe we have, maybe we discuss like, oh, how come this story ranked higher? Well, it was very well, it was very well scoped. It was pretty small. So the effort was very minimal for lots of value. So thus the ROI was higher, you know? And then the funny thing is when you do this, those small stories tend to be the ones that bubble to the top, right? But if you give me, you know, and when you and I have both done services, right? If I give you some poorly defined large project with unclear requirements, if you're smart, you're going to pad your estimate and the perceived ROI is going to be lower. Let me turn the tables a little bit and talk about, if we're going to talk about value ultimately to the business, you know, there's a lot of talk now about turning analytics teams inside out and using it to help sell products, augment products, or become the product. I'm wondering if you have yeah. any experience there or any thoughts about how that can change or transform the way analytics teams work or think. Yeah, I have some experience there. And one of the things that I think we should be very aware of here and very cautious about is that there's a tremendous difference between internal business intelligence and providing analytics as a business, as a product. You know, maybe your company that provides delivery services for restaurants and you want to give them the, these individual restaurants their own dashboard so they can see their busy times, they can figure out how many drivers they should have on, how many cooks and so on and so on, right? So that's customer-facing analytics. Now, here's the trick though. So now you've gone from having 10, 20, 50, 100 internal customers who are one Slack channel away and they're still hard to talk to. Now you have potentially 100,000 customers or more who are not analysts themselves, who aren't used to thinking in terms of KPIs. They are used to thinking in numbers, but not KPIs, and you can't reach out and talk to each of them, right? I, the kind of team you construct to serve that type of situation is very different from the kind you construct internally. Maybe for an internal team, you bring your data engineer to the business meeting, right? But I'm probably not gonna bring my data engineer to a meeting with a local restaurant owner, you know? And this is the case, so you, it goes back to product ownership. You're going to have to invest more in product ownership. You're going to have to think a lot more about uptimes. Everything you build has to be super reliable, right? Because people's, you know, you burn a pizzeria, you know, no pun intended, but on your analytics, you've sold them, you will lose their trust forever. Yeah. It is it's very different. So I think the key to success there is really, is well, it's not that actually, in some cases, not that different for internal, is partnership. You know, maybe you find a couple of your, exemplary customers who are representative of the other ones and say, hey, we really want to help you be successful with analytics. You work with us. We will you know, provide you reports, dashboards, this and that, and so on. No cost, really. Should be no cost because they're being your beta testers. Uh, but you're, and your objective is like, we want to help you be successful here. And it may lead you someplace you don't know. So Gordon, in summary here, what 
tips or recommendations would you give to analytics leaders to help them drive more value, become more data-driven themselves and drive more value to the business? Build your own dashboard, right? You as the leader, yeah. If you are the leader of this department, you are the solution architect for this department. And I don't mean you're the data warehouse architect, you know, I don't mean you're the BI architect. I mean, you are the solution architect for the department itself. You need to think about people, you need to think about process, you, think, you need to think about technology, your budgets and so on. You should build your own dashboard. What is your KPI tree? What is your North Star metric? Make sure you understand this and then be transparent with it. You know, show your team, hey, this is how I'm tracking internal employee satisfaction. And folks, I see that over the last two months, we've been dropping. You know, and this is, I'm intending to put focus here and improve this, you know, right? Where's your measure of it, right? So build your own dashboard. You know, that's where, I, you know, and of course, I'll teach you how hard, or remind you how hard this stuff is, you know. Maybe, it might have been a while since you wrote some SQL, right? Yeah, so we're, we're too much the cobbler's children, right? Building dashboards for everybody else, but not for ourselves. And not looking at the data that we could use to drive our own business. And we really need to think of ourselves as a business. With sales department, marketing department, production department, manufacturing, because we have it all when you think about it. Right. Well, we have all of them, right? Yeah. So, Gordon, thank you so much for participating on this show. I appreciate your insights, as always. Thanks, Wayne. I need to go work on my dashboard. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more insights on data or analytics, visit our website at www.eckerson.com.